Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. Today is the 21st of January. The time right now is 10.06. And you are joined with myself, Musavar Maksud, Qudus Mateen and Danish Nasir on the Voice of Islam on our Saturday morning live show. As always, this show is live and interactive. So if you do want to get in touch, you can contact us on 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. As I mentioned before, this is a live show and we'd love to hear your thoughts on the points that will be discussed today. And in the first hour, as usual, we'll be talking about uh, some of the headlines that we picked up on or that have caught our attention. And in the second hour, we've got, an, well, I think anyway, an interesting discussion, which will be regarding um, technology and humanity. Technology versus humanity, you can say whether uh, the advancement in technology has kind of progressed alongside humanity, whether humanity has progressed as well. So we'll be looking into some facts and figures and discussing how we have advanced in that respect. Um, but first and foremost, we've got some guest presenters here today. First timers, so let's be easy on them. We've got Musafir Maksoud. We've got Musafir Maksoud. How you doing, Musafir? I'm good, bro. How are you? Yeah, alhamdulillah, man. Musafir normally goes by the name Musa, but today I think he wants to be a bit more formal. Musafir Musafir. Yeah, call me by my government name, which is Musafir Maksoud. Musafir is actually one of the name of Allah, isn't it? It is, yeah, one of the ninety-nine names of Allah. What does it mean? It means. It means like a painting, sort of like an architecture of. Um, what Allah has created sort of thing okay interesting and Qudus is also a, uh, one of the names of God is it not? the holy one yeah, he's <coughs> the holy one yeah mashallah okay that's great right what, so what does Mudabir mean? Mudabir actually means uh, planner or someone that thinks quite very like goes deep into uh a, th- a point thinks too deeply into something not too deeply but thinks deeply into something that definitely defines you <laughs> <laughs> well that's what they say in Islam doesn't it that Hazrat uh, Muhammad said that your name should uh, <coughs> well can reflect your your personality right with those introductions um, well do I do I not get one Danish I think I did introduce you no I said Danish Nasir okay what does your name mean my friend no it's okay no 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 we want to know that what does it mean um it means intelligent, so that fits. That does fit. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does fit. All right, let's move on to some of the news stories that we've uh, picked up on. Kudus, um, let me come to you first. Anything that's caught your attention? Uh, there's a lot of, uh, sorry, there's a lot of um, news and heat about, uh, obviously, the strikes, industrial actions taking place at the moment. Oh, yeah. And I think we've all been affected by it. First week of January. Okay. You know, we had uh, strikes again <clears throat> last year. We had strikes. Um, Are you going to come on to the bill that was that we? Discussed? I will come on to. Sh- shall we come on to the bill now, or shall we just talk about the NHS strikes? Yeah, first? let's talk about the strikes actually first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, most of these strikes, or some of these strikes, are of course a lot to do with with pay. Yeah. Um, but it's not only it's not only saying that you know we we want to increase in pay. But it's also in relation to uh, that 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 respect the profession is getting mm. in terms of, for example, um, Boris Johnson clapping on Thursdays when yeah. we went pandemic, the nurse clapping for the nurses and how the nurses took care of him when he was ill in hospital. And then when they are striking, they're not receiving. Uh, well, even before striking, when they're asking for a pay rise, they're not receiving that pay rise, yeah. which, which they should. 
Um, I think one of the other reasons why they're striking is because of the actual conditions of the NHS. It's not just pay, it's actual conditions they want. Um, the gov- they, they, they need the government to step up in uh, funding the NHS because we know that the, that right now waiting times are absolutely crazy. Yeah, they're really struggling yeah, with infrastructure, they're struggling, they're struggling but th- th- this is nothing new and I was I was looking at this yesterday, this is nothing new, I mean NHS has been struggling. Every time a government comes, they, they, you hear this yeah. every from almost every government or every uh, almost every prime minister saying the same thing. Oh, NHS in a crisis. NHS in crisis. We need to do something. Boris Johnson said the same thing. Rishi Sunak said the same thing. I don't know if Liz Truss said it, but basically most of the leaders who come on board, the first, the, some of the things they say, oh, NHS is struggling. We need to do something. We need to do something. And um, and that topic comes o- up over and over again. The question is, how, you know, how many times or what do we really need to do in yeah. order to have a have NHS uh, uh, infrastructure in place which will work for everyone in the UK? For me, I think personally, is is quite simple. It's funding. It's funding, and it's looking after the 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 workers in NHS because one, we know that they're underpaid. We know that it's a fact that there are nurses that are going to food banks to um, receive support. I mean, who would have ever ever thought that the people keeping us alive in hospitals are needing to go to food banks just to get themselves fed? So that's <coughs> one thing. It's the it's, it, it purely is funding, and actually one of the things that um, one of the, one of the ways that actually were looking into get funding. Have you heard of this thing where they basically said that if you don't turn up to your um, appointment, GP appointment, that you might get charged? Mm. Did you hear about that? Mm. That's one idea for them to try and receive funding, which I think is crazy. Because how would you police that? Now, say you miss it and you get fined. Now, if you want to book another appointment, and uh, is the GP going to say, "Oh no, you missed the last one. We're not going to book book another one in for you because we we can't trust that you're going to do it." Now, if someone can't afford it and they don't pay the fine, then what do you do? Do you say, "No, you didn't pay your fine. You can't come." Are you going to let that person suffer? The whole point of NHS is to make it make healthcare accessible to the UK population, and, and it will be really difficult, nearly impossible, to police charging people that miss their appointments. And that was one idea that. I but it's a deterrent, and it works, doesn't it? But how for, it work? Like for example, you, you you're parking, you know you're going to get a fine, oh, so you okay. stick to so your timing, yeah, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You always stick to your timing, so it's a deterrent. So and and, it's, and it works. For most of us, who wants to pay a but sixty pounds okay, fine? It, it it might work in some cases, but in the instances where it doesn't work, this is what I'm saying. In the instances where it doesn't work, right? Someone doesn't turn up for whatever reason. They overslept or so, they got ill, whatever it was, right? We've all overslept. We've all missed appointments. <laughs> but then, how would you police that? How can you police someone's missed their appointment? They can't afford to pay the fine, however much it is. Is the GP going to say you've missed your appointment? You didn't pay the fine. Now what are they going to send bailiffs? Are they no, no, I, th- I don't then, think. I don't think that's how it is. This I is think. what I'm saying. How do you police it though? Can the GP then turn around and say we're not going to book you in because you missed the last appointment? Find a new yeah, GP. But you, you police it like a normal ticket, right? You send a PCN or whatever it is, and um, they they pay it, right? You can't. You don't necessarily police a parking ticket, do you? It's no, but the, you, if you get a parking ticket come through, you have an appeal or you pay it. Yeah, and it's going to be the same process. Um, whether it's the right thing to do or not is, I guess, is is up for discussion. But um, but I don't think that the public should be funding the NHS when it should be the government. Um, yeah, the public fund the government, don't they? 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So the public yeah. are already effectively funding yeah, yeah, the NHS, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now you want them to pay fines, you want them to pay all these other things going towards the NHS when it's the government's responsibility where the public pays their taxes mm. in terms of, you know, they should be funding the NHS yeah. and there shouldn't be, um, you know, these sorts of measures coming in to protect it, I guess. Yeah, no, 100%, I agree. I, I fully believe that it should be purely the government. We, we fund them enough. Um, everyone is taxed everything is taxed I think the government get funding enough from us personally I think maybe the, the rich could get taxed more um, but a wealth, a wealth tax yeah 100% that's but, always that's always popular with the yeah. Tories hey, but how, how how do you raise funds then like as you mentioned every government's coming with a promise of we need to help the NHS we need to improve the NHS um, NHS is in trouble one of the things is, so one of the facts is that in in NHS, in the NHS, there's around, so looking at the f- stats, uh, the best paid uh, in a, NHS actually received 300,000 in 2021. Best uh, paid? Yeah. In, and, the, in and the year alone? In the year alone. So one person is receiving around 200,000 pounds a year in salary. And there's all, <laughs> there's, there is, uh, um, there's, so many of over 2,000 managers in the NHS. I was looking, oh, looking yeah. at the figures now, uh, who has six figure salaries. Yeah, and fine, they you know, at, at a high level, uh, at strategy planning, CEOs or board members, mm. they will have a higher earnings because they've worked through, worked through, well. and they have responsibility on their shoulders. Yeah. But the thing, the thing is that there is such a massive gap from. Three hundred thousand pound salary to twenty five, twenty seven, to thirty three thousand, thirty four thousand, yeah. which is now around what the nurses are earning now. Yeah. So it's a massive gap. Yeah. But when you look at it, the nurses are the ones who are taking care of the they person who is yeah. ill, yeah. Mm. and they are the one under pressure. So yeah. if they do something wrong there and then they don't diagnose them pro- or they, they don't come and check them properly or they haven't taken the blood pressure on time or something like that you know yeah. they haven't d- done their responsibility the notes weren't correct or something that will cause a death and yeah. um, that could potentially co- be lethal and co- cause yeah. death so so you know the risk lying with the nurses mm. and and the responsibility they have on their shoulders and then working this hours they are working it doesn't justify the salary. You know, I mean, there's, <coughs> you know, there's the a salary is not yeah. justified. There's a number of things uh, that I think are factoring into what the problems are within the NHS. One is funding, well, funding infrastructure, funding the staff, and also I think is the lifestyle that it, it, the UK generally doesn't promote a healthy lifestyle. Not pr- not promoting a healthy lifestyle can increase the number of people that are turning up to hospitals, to GP, or requesting appointments, which then cause, uh, you know, an excess amount of people waiting to be seen. Um, and that's, do you hear what Keir Starmer said about um, the self-referrals thing? No. So in Parliament, he was arguing and he was saying, oh, we should... Uh, we, he was. She was trying to argue his point, say we need to Im- uh, implement self referrals for physio, and if there's stuff like internal bleeding and stuff, 
And a couple of my friends on uh, Twitter who are medics were in hysterics and bewildered that internal bleeding, you want self-referrals for... Physio. Inter- no, physio is already self-referred. That's one thing. So yeah. the two points that Keir Starmer made, one for self-internal uh, bleeding and one for physio. Physio is already self-referred. Yeah, you can call up any your local physio place wherever it is, and then you can solve it. Exactly. Secondly, internal bleeding is not a light issue. It's not a light issue at all. That can be fatal in some instances. So, uh, like, yeah, I think our leaders. Are well, I'll come back to your point about a healthy lifestyle, yeah. and. Um, so this oh. is what I was saying. There's a number of factors, and then th- that if you look too deep into it, which come back to my name is what I'm doing <laughs> but you, you have like not having a healthy lifestyle can feed into well, what excess is a healthy numbers lifestyle? how can we promote a healthy lifestyle well if you just look at like our drinking habits our smoking habits our eating habits all of these things then it just all kind of plays plays a role it all factors into it yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm asking about healthy lifestyle because all of us in the group are part of the youth organization of the um, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and mm. we have a health usher, as we call it, the oh, ten days of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. ten days of focusing on our health. So, so I thought, talk, let's talk about a bit of. Uh, also, coincidentally, we're all part of Seth Just Money team, which is um, in English the uh, health and fitness. Danish, I'm yeah, Danish. Danish is in the national team. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And yeah, they, um, that's coming up. There's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, across yes. the board. There is. Um, and obviously, <clears throat> I think Mo, Mo makes a very good point in terms of, um, you know, health starts at home. And uh, as, as the government has said as well, is if you can avoid, uh, you know, having these health issues, then it will, it will take the load off the NHS as well, right? Um, so I think Mo makes a very good point that we do need to look after ourselves, um, but it's uh, it's and what's, what's been promoted around us. Ourselves? I mean, I mean, you tell me, Musa. Um, you know, you've uh, you've you've you've, you've um, Don, you lost a lot of weight. I know. What's the, I, what's the secret? Musa has been training me. Um, you know, he's <laughs> uh, he, he's quite into really good shape recently, and uh, you know, hard work, dedication. Um, but you know. All right, that's all. That's all good and well, guys. Well done. <laughs> we're just picking each other up right now like, that's, all that's really good that's really good but Kadus, let's move on to so we know the NHS is in crisis we know there's a number of issues with the NHS that need to be um, need to be solved uh, but let's move on to that other story that you were mentioning about the bill now so in regards to actually no, we haven't finished the NHS story now because we were actually going to mention the strikes right strikes yes. and now let me mention something that happened um, in my family recently so Hopefully you will never have to call the ambulance. But if and when you do need to call the ambulance, let me ask everyone here. How quick are the ambulance in terms of just picking up the phone? So you call the emergency services first and you say, need ambulance. How quickly do you get onto the phone to someone? Straight away, usually. Everyone's saying straight away. Yeah. Straight away, yeah. I promise you, yeah, a few weeks ago, called the ambulance. Um, Alhamdulillah, uh, it wasn't anything serious, but still I needed to call before finding out it wasn't serious. Called up and they asked you, okay, what services do you need? I said, ambulance. And I swear to you, I promise, there was about three minutes of the phone ringing. And about a minute into the phone ringing, I was like, wait, what? The phone is ringing. I'm asking for an ambulance and the phone's ri- there's a, there's a, there's a ringtone. I've never heard before in my life. 
Um, and this was just towards the end of December, around the time where paramedics and um, uh, health staff were um, striking. So maybe that had a part to play in it. But imagine there was someone who was actually dying and every second counts. Um, like a stroke. Yeah, exactly. And for three to four minutes, I w- there was a ring, a ringing tone just to get to, to the ambulance. And then when, the, when they got on, when I, when I got to them and I mentioned the situation and said, okay, cool, we're, we're sending one out on blue light. So they came, alhamdulillah, in about seven to eight minutes, which was good. But the f- initial step to get to someone on the phone to explain the situation, there was a there was a dial tone. Um, yeah, I mean there 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 was a um, there was an incident in the UK where someone actually passed away. They, they had a heart attack, and the um, the ambulance didn't come for over forty minutes. Oh, wow. So then the the wife had to take her husband to the hospital herself in a car. But mm. by by that time it was too late. Um, so yeah, so there there has been instances where you know people have died from it. Yeah. Um, which is which is incredibly sad, um, but you got to understand. Like I feel like the NHS staff feel like this is the last resort. Yeah. Um, you know they've they've been campaigning for this for for so long and nothing gets done. They feel like their voices don't get heard. Um, so I I do understand it from from their perspective as well, especially if people are struggling to live, as you said, more people. Um, you know the NHS staff have to go to food banks to feed themselves, and they have to skip meals to you know provide for their mm. families. Then, you know, what would you do in that case if you know your yeah. voice wasn't being heard and you're you know you're struggling to survive? Um, what 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 would you do? I don't know. I think it's, it is a bit of a hard one. I think obviously going on strikes is to kind of cr- not just create noise, but to let people know that we're serious about it. But at the same time, but also people, find a solution. What they're trying, yeah. to, they want to have that discussion. They want to have the the discussion. Yeah, that's the reason for <clears> the strike. But at the same time, that <clears> these people have responsibilities as well. Now, the, you know, I think it's in February. The teachers will be striking, right? And that is going to have a massive impact as well on kids. I don't know how long they're striking for, but it will have a massive impact. Um, on schools across the country um, but let's move on now to that story so we want to mention the striking right they're, they're striking across the board every nearly every not every sector but a lot of the public sectors now are striking teachers are striking healthcare striking railway um, workers striking what's this bill that you meant that you wanted to mention no I mean, no I uh, you probably heard it already it's called well they're given the name anti-strike bill okay and the uh, b- the uh, idea behind this is that we, the Tory government, wanted to have at least a minimum level of service provided during the industrial strikes, where we're striking, uh-huh. and make sure that they have there is a minimum level of service provided, so that the if the public is not um, affected or uh, in, in that situation, and uh, so they've been voting it in uh, on it in Parliament. And it seems like it's going to go through most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, there's been uproar against this bill because obviously it's seen as an attack on democracy because mm. one of the values or one of the key rights under civil liberties under under democracy would be to have the right to strike. Yeah. Um, and um, and so that this bill is seen as an attack on uh, civil liberties and that's what the unions are arguing, especially. Um, but the Tories are saying, and the government is saying that uh, this is uh, in order to ensure that the public is not used as uh, as hostage. Yeah. 
and we ensure that the uh, uh, the service is provided at least at a minimum level during those strikes. But technically, uh, I mean, it doesn't even and and also it mentions um, uh, sec- it, they talk a lot about securities. Uh, when they're arguing this bill, but it doesn't even mention anything to do. There's nothing to do with security. It's, uh, uh, it's interesting how they're trying to promote it, but it's it doesn't actually uh, mention any other things they are saying, except for obviously minimum level of uh, service provided during the time of strike. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like you'll pass through. And, and, and I've seen recently that a lot of the bills which are controversial are passing through both House of Commons and House of Lords mm. fairly quickly these days. I don't know what the reason is. I mean, I have to look into <laughs> into it a little bit deeper. But um, it seems like a lot of the, uh, the the bills they want to pass, the law they want to pass, they are passing through without even, you know, uh, they have opposition and there is uh, uproar about it, but at the end of the day, it's always passed. So... There is something there which people don't understand and it's not easy to understand uh, because we, we think that we live in a democracy. Mm. But the fact is that no one's... So so. obviously the way our structure is, it goes in order to pass a law, it goes through the both House of Commons and House of Lords and before it becomes a law. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, the people don't necessarily have a say. It's yeah. the MPs who vote for the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people don't understand that. So they're not limiting striking completely. They're j- they're not they're not stopping striking completely. Sorry, but they're just saying, okay, if you want to strike, you just need to make sure that service isn't in- interrupted too much because, as they say, they don't want to use the public as hostages. Which is actually interesting. Um, I don't I don't think that's wrong. I think that's a in a way it's a positive positive thing because yeah. there needs to be minimum level of service if you're striking 100%. but the unions are arguing they are saying we already before we strike we declare or we we decide the minimum level of service which is going to be provided on the day before we go on strike so who decides the, the union minimum? decides that they already put that on notice saying yeah. we're going to have for example let's say these these services running on the trains uh-huh. that those three days we are going to do. That's why even when we're striking, we still get train. Yeah. We have to wait a lot. We have to. There's a delay and there's issues, but mm. at the end of the day, there's still there are still trains running. Yeah. Which that's because the minimum level of service is all is in place. Okay. Interesting. So you know that's why they're saying you know unions are going against it and saying we already do what you're saying. Yeah. You know, maybe should be maybe doing. they're concerned that now the government will be deciding what minimum minimum level services a service is. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously this is going to be an interesting further debate on how this is decided, how the Secretary of State Grand Chaps and and you know how the, this bill is going to be, how once it's passed in law, how this will be implemented. Yeah. Uh, in but I, I the does the bill say people are going to lose their jobs if they strike? Absolutely, it does. Basically, it doesn't say that directly, I think. I don't know. I mean, I didn't read the details. But what the effect is, is that if the if the um, employer has notified you to stay at work mm. and you don't follow that, uh, then they can they can sack you. And that's one of the re- that, that's also one of the uh, issues with this bill is that you know it, it, it allows the employer the abilities to sack those 
who want to take action in the face of a work notice. Uh, so if they provided a work notice and they they still want to go and and on the uh, a picket line, then it, you know they can be sacked, and that gives the employer more. Yeah, that's power. what I was going to say. Does that not diminish the power of the, of the unions? Absolutely does. It gives employers more power to sack people who want to strike, which is why it's seen as an attack on civil liberties, mm. one of the rights in democracy. Mm-hmm. And we live in a democracy, so-called democracy. So where does this leave the unions then? But like, where do they go? Because if a union decides to strike, but then the employer is saying, well, if you go on strike, you're going to lose your job. Yeah, I mean, that that's the debate they're having. I mean, they, they want to sit down with the government and talk about this and, and, and find a yeah, solution. But it doesn't look like the government wants to listen, though, do they? No, the government well, doesn't want to listen. They will pass this bill, I'm sure, um, and then become law. And then uh, and then we'll have more upset people <laughs> in the country. You know, um, railway <laughs> companies, are they losing money at the moment? Um, in terms of the strikes? Mm-hmm. Um, or just generally, even because a lot of less less people are commuting to work. Um, I mean, I can't. I'm not sure, but I know that uh, there has been a decrease in uh, in the TFL usage uh, in the last two three years. I've, I mean, I think uh, Sadiq Khan was talking about this recently. Um, but uh, and and naturally that's because of obviously the TFL hasn't been running um, as as often or or uh, national rail hasn't been running as often because of uh, we had pandemic and after that we had uh, people working from home so yeah. naturally there will be more or less usage of that and that means um, people buying less tickets exactly yeah that's my point so yeah. and our and our habits have changed people are not buying. Uh, a monthly pass anymore most likely yeah. because if they're working three days or two days in the office and you and you and you're spending working from home the rest of the time then obviously you're not going to buy a monthly <coughs> pass because that's going to be very costly for you so you'll rather pay the weekly or you'll pay the two days you want to travel yeah. so that is going to increase so wouldn't that work in the railway company's favor then to then sack some employees because it's effectively saving them money because they're not mixed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this comes back to that's good. But this comes back to to how the money is distributed, um, mm. and I and I'm, I made that point about the NHS as well. That uh, a lot of the um, employ employees are earning h- high salaries, and we're talking about a, one person is earning the equivalent of five nurses' salaries a year. Mm. Uh, and and you know, it, it's a it's a massive gap between those two, and that's the same with National Rail. For example, the C, the the uh, the head board members, for example, or the the higher paid earnings um, staff will be on a much higher salary. That doesn't that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that there is a massive gap between the driver, or the the guard, uh, and and the person who's at the top. So, but the know, ra- the rail industry, apart from the TFL, is is privatized now. It's not. It's not run by. Yeah, yeah no, it's government. not run by by the government. No, no, no. So on on that. Well, point, I think some part of it is still run by the government, isn't it? Or some part is privatized. I, I, I don't know. know. I thought most of it was was privatized. But just just on that part of the, um, you know, the the vast difference in pay amongst workers. Um, do you think there should be a cap on how much people can earn in in government jobs? No, no. No, in government there shouldn't jobs. Be a cap. Now that brings me to another point. No, I don't think there should be a cap uh, in how much they can earn. Oh, you mean like, for example, MPs? 
No, 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 no. So say, for example, this NHS example that you've given where yeah. managers are earning five times nurses. No, um, I, don't, I don't think there should be a cap. Um, but I'll come to another point if anyone else has another point. But I'm going to bring this point to another, another discussion. This is uh, in terms of MPs' second jobs. Mm. Let's, let, what do you think about those? Because yeah, so, so MPs are earning eight, around eighty-five thousand a year. Crimes. That's the that's the cap. That's the cap of the MPs' salary, right? Yeah. But they're allowed to earn privately in other capacities mm-hmm. as a second job. Well, yeah. And a lot of these people, are, a lot of the MPs are earning around a million. Yeah, yeah, as consultants, as a consultant, yeah, yeah, yeah. around a million eight hundred thousand pounds. That's a lot. And of they money. get to expense everything as well. Uh, they don't. It, they don't have any expenses in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends. I think if it's a similar thing to our normal day, day jobs, we're allowed to have jobs outside as long as it doesn't impede on our day-to-day job. Do you think so? Yeah, I think. Uh, why, why would that be an issue? What is no, the, I what think, is I the think po- you need the employers. You need your employers say so. Like, you, you have to have your company say, yeah, okay, you can have a second job. You can't just start doing a second job and they're going to be okay uh, with that. I don't know. I've never come across that. I don't have. A, I did have a second job, but they never mentioned. Did, did they know? Did the they know you had a second job? <laughs> no, they did. It was on oh. the weekends, so it never, it never, it would yeah. never have an effect on my nine to five job, my Monday to Friday. It was a weekend job, and yeah, I spoke to them about it. They never said, "Yeah, you got to go through HR. You got to let us know." Mm-hmm. Nothing formal was ever done. But I so think if you had a second job, which <coughs> which was during, you had to, for example, speak yeah. to go and prepare something for that after would, work. Yeah, uh, I think they would have an issue with it. And, and and a lot of these employers today ask you specifically, uh, and I know that because I I asked for it myself working <laughs> in that industry. Um, that if you have a second job or not, mm. and you have to declare it. If you don't declare you have it, to declare it. Yeah, and if yeah, you yeah. don't declare it, uh, it becomes a massive issue. But the, the point is that um, the point is that what is the purpose of the MP? Who is he? Who to, is represent, to represent to represent to re- represent his job. people. Yeah. It yeah. represents his people in this constituency. Yeah. So now we ask. No, I mean, and and this discussion has been going on forever. And you know it brings up again. And Sky recently did a whole section on it. You can see how how much the MPs are earning outside of their um, uh, uh, the the job or constituency jobs. Um, so you you can see that online now uh, in a very very neat neat way. But the question still remains. You know, uh, should they be allowed to work outside of? But I don't see. I mean, again, my my thing is, as if you are fulfilling your responsibility to your constituency, why can you not? Why are you now limited to be, um, what's the word, uh, the word when you want to go somewhere far in life? If you have, you want to live a better life. Is that what you're saying? Not just live a better life. Increase your salary potential. If you have a drive for something, right? If you have a drive to do better, to be better, to do good. And I, don't, that, I don't think his point, uh, Kudus. His point is about the salary, right? I think your point is just like they should fully focus on. Yeah, my point. My point isn't about salary either. Job. My point is about salary either. It's about cool. You can. You, you can. Okay, but aspire produce. is the word you're looking for. Now. Aspire. That is the one. Come on. Maybe it's the one. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we obviously but, haven't had enough coffee. Well, you know, but you know what listeners, it is, Mo. Yeah? On hear. that point, I agree with you. Is that why should the government stop? people from you know as I said aspiring to be more or have these opportunities yeah. to go out and do other things exactly. right but my my issue with that is that these MPs are on like 80 plus thousand a year yeah. right 
nurses are on about 20, 25, 30k a year max. Uh-huh. Yeah. These MPs don't do the hours that the nurses do. Okay. They don't do the type of work that the nurses do. And say, what if a nurse wanted to aspire to be something more? Or what if she wanted to do something else? Of course, she, she had the option to. How? When she's doing 12, 15, 16 hour shifts, where is she going to find the time to do that? The 12, 15, 16 hour shifts, they're on three, four day rotors. Yeah. So you do 12 hour shifts, yeah, but, but they're on a four day rotor. Okay, okay, you do 12 hour shifts, four days in a row. Do you think in the other three days you're going to have time to work on a business? Uh, I don't know. I can't speak for these people, but this they will know the lifestyle they they've gotten themselves into. They will know the lifestyle, hundred percent. And no, if they I, want, if they want to make them make extra means outside of those hours, then they've got to choose what lifestyle they want to live. Should they? Yeah, but it's not as simple as that, though. Because okay, they've they've trained. Someone's trained as a nurse, or so, someone's trained as you know whatever. And that that is that is all they know. And I get that. That's their choice to train as that and go and work in that. But ultimately, they're both civil servants in that sense yeah. right the gov you know the, their jobs are being paid for <clears throat> by the government where the mps as i said are making 80 plus thousand a year just as their salary and then they get to expense everything and they have all of these luxuries that comes attached with their role mm. and then on top of what kadus is saying is that some of them can act as consultants and and make millions and some of them even you know profit off government legislation so like when this whole covid thing happened with ppe some yeah. of these mps were shareholders or consultants or they're actually pushed for the nhs yeah, yeah. to get contracts in companies that they had interests in yep. and they yeah. made lots and lots of money out yeah, of that yeah. so i but, think my point is is and maybe kudus is making the same point is that they are already in such a privileged position and yeah. that's not to say that they shouldn't be there mm. you know they've earned the right to be there they're the mp of their constituency mm. they've been voted in but at the same time, for me, I know you guys said it's it's not really about the money, but for me, it's about the money where someone's earning 80K mm. and they have a cushy job and they can go out and do other things to make more money. Mm. Whereas, arguably, arguably, people who are doing more important jobs, like the nurses, are struggling to feed their families. Look, I, I completely get that. And I don't commend uh, this gap at all. Um, I, I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's just. Um, and it's definitely not something that should be happening happening in uh, a country like ours. There shouldn't be such a divide, right? But at the end of the day, what I think the point comes down to is then do we limit or do we cap or do we stop MPs who have chosen that life for a reason? I mean, I, I would we would love to believe that any MP that's choosing to be an MP wants to be a representative f- for their constitu- for their constituency and want to do best for the people mm. they're going in for the right reasons okay fair enough the, the they don't set the the salaries that they get paid um and they don't set the salaries that the nurses get paid they will see and we we've heard many uh, mps in parliament in government scream about this they they we've heard them cry about this we've heard them um preach that you know they there shouldn't be this gap but then at the end of the day my point is okay but these people have chosen a life to do something good for people, right? MPs, we would hope, as I mentioned, that they have chosen this job to be the voice for the underprivileged and the privileged and everyone in between, right? But is it their fault that these salaries have been set? Now, if this person has a passion for something on the side, whether it makes them money or not, okay, even if it makes them, even if it makes them ten grand a year, would you, would you be, would, would that be acceptable? 
if they made if they made an extra five ten grand a year maybe they wouldn't even want want to make money of it but their passion for it has caused an influx of a certain amount of money are we going to that now limit this person from doing something that they're passionate about outside of just being a voice for people because the the purpose of an mp is to listen to every single member of their constituency that's not an easy job by any means by any means that's not going to be an easy job whatsoever so one it's going to be difficult to put that on um like to compare that against a nurse's job in terms of they're, they're they're similar in terms of helping people but they're very different in terms of the actual process of delivering that help nurses are on the in in the forefront of actually physically trying to get people to stay alive and on the other hand we have mps who have to listen to individuals whose lives are suffering in other ways they may it might be a domestic issue it might be environmental issue whatever issue it is i'll be interested to know how many mps actually meet how many of their constituency constituents <coughs> in their yeah. in in, in the in the area you know there are some mps it takes time 100% and we know i mean we MPs. know that because we have been working in when we work in our youth organization we know how much time it takes exactly to so actually go and meet people individuals but we also know that there are some mps that we the ahmadi muslim community have worked closely with that do very good for the constituency and we know that they work hard we know that they their doors are nearly always open so i i think it will be difficult to now say you've chosen the life of an mp that that, that means now you can't have any job outside of this that's called if you devotion. have a passion <laughs> <laughs> if you have a passion i mean mp should I be a devotion that. shouldn't yeah, it, it, is, it is it should be devoting <clears throat> your life as an mp <laughs> 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 that structure doesn't work the same way as our as our community, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, that's my point. My point, I think, at the end is, look, I I, I don't think there's any issue with any MP having an outside interest f- from their MP role, as long as they're able to f- fulfill their MP role to the best of their ability and do everything that they need to be doing and can be doing for their constituents. I just I just don't think MPs that are earning you know almost six figures can be in a position to tell nurses that they don't deserve more money they don't tell the nurses though uh, effectively that's that's what happens right mm-hmm. that, that, <laughs> that that's what happens right when they vote for when they it, vote right when they mm. vote for not increasing the salaries or if there was a vote or against that and then yeah of course that that's what they they yeah, so we're not going to vo- give you more money but we'll clap for you on Thursdays <laughs> <laughs> while I sit in my mansion <coughs> drink my old grey alright <laughs> we've been spoken a lot of <laughs> hasn't had coffee as you can as you can tell so. I just don't like politicians <laughs> right alright uh, anyone else got any other stories I've got, I've got a story Come sorry Gadus, did you have one no no go ahead no, let, let, I, I've, I've got a story um, around the tech layoffs as some of you um, might have heard um recently some of the big tech companies are laying off uh, a lot of people um so google and uh, alphabet their parent company will said they'll cut roughly 12,000 jobs across across the globe um amazon said that they will cut almost 18,000 jobs um wow. and uh, microsoft so these are you know three of the biggest tech companies in the world they will lay off around 10,000 people um which is effectively 5% of their global workforce um so this you know this is going to affect a lot of people um and um it's uh yeah it's uh, it's it's been 
it's been a troubling time. Um, What's the reason for this? Just just the economy. So some of the reasons that that they've cited is um, econ- uh, Microsoft decided that it was a restructure. They're trying to restructure and and also they're trying ac- to save money effectively. Yeah. That's all it is. So yeah. because of the economic uncertainty, uh, fears of a recession. Um, and uh, what these what these tech companies did is because they were booming during COVID, they overhired. Um, mm. So they hired a lot of people. Um, and now that the the economy slowed down and perhaps uh, their projections aren't as as positive as they were two or three years ago, um, due to that overhire, they um, they they need to they need to lay people off because effectively they need to look like that they're still making profit for the shareholders and, and all of that stuff. So, um, and these are only three companies that I mentioned. There's so many others um, that, so there's another, so for those of you that are into crypto, there's um, there's a trading platform called uh, Coinbase. They're gonna lay off about a thousand people. Um, so there, there's so many other companies and you can just imagine how many people are gonna be affected by this. And I think in the UK, we're quite lucky in terms of uh, the the labor laws and uh, how we can be protected from from layoff, mm-hmm. um, not protected, but you know how how um, how that process works. Yeah. 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 Um, but in America, it's literally on the day. Mm. Um, so you'll get an email tomorrow. You try to log into work tomorrow, Monday. You just won't have access to anything, um, mm. and they they um, they end your end your job on the spot. You know what I find crazy? So these um, big tech companies are worried about the economic recession or the economic downfall, but they still wouldn't have billions in profit. Billions in profit. Mm. And they're, they're worried about it's an e- economic downturn. I, I mean, it's profit that they, they are taking away. Mm. This is after salaries, this is after remun- remunerations, mm. this is after bonuses, this is after everything. And they're worried about that. I mean, they uh, okay. Maybe they did overhire. Maybe they have um, done too much during COVID. But um, now I think they should really think about you know how this is going to be affecting people's lives at the end of the day. Um, and this is actually something that I wanted to bring up in the second hour as well regarding these tech companies and how um, how technology has advanced so much that most roles in the next i don't know how many decades could be taken over by by robotics ai anything like that but um Mm. that could be a reason why uh, these people have felt the need or these companies have felt the need to lay people off but i I, I think it's a difficult thing to to happen to you especially in 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 an economic climate like this very difficult yeah it's um it is as you said um but i think to your point in terms of you know if they're making so much money and they're making so much profit um why why do they feel like cutting ten thousand people will um you know will help them and i think ultimately it's just down to uh how they look to their shareholders because it's all Mm -hmm. about their investors um and it's all about you know the returns that they want to make their investors and stuff so Mm. uh, i think they're not too concerned about um you know the the workforce as such um i know these tech companies um or the tech industry is um it really looks after their employees in terms Mm. of um you know the benefits that they get and and the working environment as well so it's not to say that they don't they don't care about their employees but i think the 
their underline is that it's all about you know their investors and how strong they want to look in their um, you know the financial reporting at the end of the year, and um, and I think because obviously you being a lawyer and stuff, I don't know you might have some insight in terms of what why the companies um, to to most point why laying off these people might might be a good thing for them um i know you said caduce but i'm just gonna say a quick point um i think post pandemic uh there was a shift in um digital spending habits mm. so um after that's happened i think that a lot of these companies are now scaling back mm. um so they're seeing them optimize the digital spend to do more with less that's a good point musa actually that's one of the things they they also said these tech companies that they they consumer habits have changed over or during the last two three years and the way we're spending our money and also the, our habits in terms of shopping and where we shop and yeah. how lazy we are and how active we are uh, so that's obviously changing and also our focus is changing mm. because obviously when the crisis happens for example recently you know we had the energy hikes and uh, we're still having hikes as in the energy prices are still increasing mm. I, I received an email only I think two weeks ago saying that you know your energy bill is going to increase by I don't think around I don't know how much but I think 100 pounds or something so may God be with you brother yeah <laughs> no but but when that happens then people's focus changes because the focus is then survival people exactly. start going into yeah, survival 100%. mode yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you have to think about okay I'm not gonna do this I'm not gonna go out I'm not gonna spend on for example my you know health I'd rather spend on warming up the house or keeping alive, keeping well, alive yeah. eating. I'm not going to, you know, you start thinking that way. And yeah. then, you know, the majority of the, the people in the population will will be thinking that, you know, do I? We even had news recently for uh, the the food banks, uh, the amount of food banks and the need of the food banks that and also up, people yeah. who, who had to choose between heating the home yeah. and eating. Yeah. So if we are that level... And then of course the consumer habits have of course changed yeah. because of the 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 crisis we are in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for for big big tech companies, uh, I mean I can't obviously uh, speak for them, but it, it seems like they did overhire. Um, I mean I have that I had that feeling even during pandemic when they were hiring so many people, and we knew that we were in a pandemic, uh, and people were hiring massive amounts of staff. Uh, and then I was thinking even then that, you know, down the line, two, three years down the line, you know, you start seeing people cut cut off because of the effects of uh, pandemic uh, yeah. or the effects <coughs> of the economy itself. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, Mo, to, to that point that you made, so I'm just um, just reading an article here on CNBC. Um, one of the companies, Salesforce, said that um, by these job cuts, they will uh, save close to 1.5 billion related wow. to headcount reductions wow. and uh, around 450 to 700 million dollars related to office space reductions okay. so they are big numbers yeah um so you know i think <clears throat> that, yeah they um these companies are struggling um, i say struggling but you know in terms of um the economic downturn um and uh how perhaps the future isn't as rosy as perhaps they they thought it would be okay um so it, it, 
those are they some are big, big numbers. numbers yeah. yeah, no, they are big numbers, definitely. And let's just hope and pray that those people that are let off um, aren't suffering too much, or they're able to to maintain um, their lifestyle to some extent, and they're able to, um, yeah, provide for whatever they need to provide you know, for. They're they're not the only people that are gonna that are gonna be affected though. Because if you think about it, there's about, say, 70,000 people that have just lost yeah, their yeah. job, right? Think about the the market, mm-hmm. right, in terms of jobs, like the job market. Yeah. 70,000 experienced, knowledgeable people, um, you know, really smart people going to the job market. How's that going to affect the, the graduates? How's that going to affect the yeah. people that are just starting their career mm-hmm. and they're up against people who've perhaps been in industry for 10 plus years and That's got all this experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not just these people that are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the new generation that's coming in. Yeah, is, the new generation now will be potentially pushed back into roles that like uh, they'll be way overqualified mm-hmm. for because they can't get jobs they are qualified for because people more experienced are going into those yeah. roles yeah that makes sense but yeah as i was saying let's just hope that yeah, and pray that these these individuals are able to uh survive or be able to um remain on their feet and uh, do the best that they can in light of these um job cuts all around the world not just in the u.s and these big tech companies but i think everyone's struggling at some point but let's we've got about five minutes left and our guest presenter has been too quiet for my liking and uh, I want to talk which about. One's, I'm which not one's quiet. that? Which one's that? Seven Maksud. So quiet. Seven But look, we know you're like a footballing star in our community, right? Yeah. So let's talk Legend. about superstar. Superstar, hundred percent. Legacy. Yeah, you are a legacy. As is your father as well. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, talk about the football. What's been happening in the football? We've got about five minutes. Let's just give us a quick. Yeah, one just now. a quick one on that. Um, there was a friendly game that was played in Saudi Arabia um, between Al Nasser. And PSG. Unless is your your favorite team right now, right? Yes. Yeah. You've supported them for a long time. You've supported them for a long time. No, you've supported them for a long time. Supporting them from day. Yeah, you've supported them from long time. Where is Al Nasser from? Can you just explain to the listeners? They're from Saudi Arabia. It's a Saudi. Whereabouts in Saudi are they? I don't exactly know, but Al Nasser, I'd imagine. Okay. What's so significant about Al Nasser? Um, so yeah, basically the um, so for Al Nasser, Cristiano Ronaldo plays for them, oh, and PSG okay. uh, Lionel Messi mm. plays for them. So okay. obviously there's a there's a rivalry between Ronaldo and Messi, which was for settled the last after the World years. Cup. Mm. No, it was way before that. It was. But it was yeah. settled at, at the World Cup. All right, can you let me speak for sorry, a second? Sorry, sorry. So yeah, back in Spain, um, there was obviously a rivalry between those two, um, where Ronaldo played for Real Madrid and Messi played for Barcelona. And um, that's a grudge match in itself because it's uh, El Clasico, Madrid versus Barca. And then on top of that, you've got, um, you know, two giants of football facing each other. Um, and I think it was a bit emotional this time because um, it's, it's probably going to be the last time that Ronaldo and Messi will face each other again on the pitch. So um, There's a lot of um, camaraderie between them that we saw on the pitch, wasn't there? And that I think uh, it shows respect to 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 each other that they've come so far and they see it in each other as well. Then we we know that they've mentioned it before that they kind of well Ronaldo's definitely mentioned it that Lionel Messi has helped him push his career because mm-hmm. it's someone he's had to compete against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't know what Lionel Messi's comments are on that, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good point you make that we don't know when the next like game against them will be will probably want to be one of those there charity be, legends pro- yeah, matches, maybe. if anything but um, 
Yeah. What was it for though? Was it just friendly? Or? It was just a friendly game because I think um, PSG are Qatari backed. Oh yes, yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So they obviously did a friendly match. Um, but going Saudi. Sorry. They went to Saudi to play. Well, they went to Saudi to yeah, play because yeah, yeah. Al-Nasser is from I think they, they were there for a training camp anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, it, was, it was quite random. That's well, what I, I thought. But yeah. it was it was, uh, it was was very well promoted. Um, mm. The stadium was packed. Yeah, the stadium. Was yeah. it? 66,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. to be precise. There was a lot of people and, and it was all over the news. And I, I just I just randomly saw it on YouTube. I was like, the Sky Sports Football was like showing this highlights, PSG. Mm, yeah. and, and it says... It, said, it had the goat sign. <laughs> I was like, which I was one's like, the goat? Yeah. I was like, okay, this is Ronaldo and Messi <laughs> playing together. I was like, random. But yeah. So, has the debate been settled? Yes. We see it We've only got a minute and a half to discuss that. I don't think we have enough time, but I think they're both legends um, and they're both goats in their own respective rights. Um, but I'm more, will, I sway uh, to, more towards Will Messi get the Ballon d'Or this year? Yes. <laughs> sorry, I had to do that. I'm sorry, guys. I had to do a sue. One sue, at least. <laughs> we apologise to our listeners for this <laughs> intervention. That's fine. Um, all right, I think we've wrapped up the um, headline section. The next section, as mentioned previously, will be a discussion regarding technology versus humanity. If the advancement in technology have coincided with our advancements in humanity as well. It should be an interesting discussion. Please stay tuned. Give us a call on 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Please stay tuned. Um, we're going to go to a short break after which there will be the news at 11 and then we'll come back to our show. The Alive the one who is eternally living. Allah is he beside whom there is no God, the living, the self-subsisting, and all-sustaining. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet, 24 hours a day. Azrat Mirza Majroor Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, continues the work of the holy founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your interpretation of jihad has always been in stark contrast 
to the extremist imams that we all deplore. We especially applaud His Holiness for denouncing those who pervert faith by claiming it as a justification for violence. However we define God, it is wrong to kill in His name. I have enormous admiration and respect for the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are doing throughout the world to promote peace and understanding, not just by words, but by an example of a way of life, an example of impeccable conduct, and an example of undeniable faith in God Almighty, and an example of peace and tolerance. I only wish that more people could be here today to see this face of Islam, to understand this community's expression of that great religion, and I hope that for the future you will be recognised as the face of Islam, of love, of tolerance, of brotherhood and friendship. The work that you do in the community contributes every day towards that. Let us hope that everyone else's eyes are opened to the truth, to the justice and to the compassion that you bring to our society. His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. It is a pleasure to be associated with an organization, with a religion that says love for all, hate for none. And I think if you reflect on that, really that is what we all ought to be doing in the world today. The Ahmadiyya movement in Islam has been a leader in promoting peace and partnership between communities. Established in 190 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continues to preach a message of peace and tolerance even in parts of the world that persecute them for their beliefs. But this should, ladies and gentlemen, come as a surprise to no one, to anyone who knows this community. Ahmadis are renowned throughout the world for their devotion to peace, universal brotherhood and the will of God, the core principles of true Islam. Uh, all of us, whatever our political persuasions, hugely admire 
the work of um, the Ahmadiyya community here in the United Kingdom as we do across the world. And you are also a beacon because you teach all of us that we will find the solutions to the problems of today through a rediscovery of the spiritual side of our lives as well as the material side. Let us make a resolution. Let us make this resolution to promote the message of peace and brotherhood, which is your message to mankind, that people of different religions should not quarrel and fight with each other, but should accept and tolerate and live together in that spirit of brotherhood and peace, which is the essence of your religion. People are asking, who is the gracious God? Gracious God is He who has created the sun and the moon for our benefit. The sun with which human life and the life of vegetation is associated. Through the attribute of Rahman, God grants without being asked. Can one say that the sun or the earth was created on account of one's deeds? Rahman is a being that grants beneficence of the kind that man does not have the capacity of giving. It is by virtue of being gracious that all creation receives God's universally prevalent beneficence. Prophets of God summon people to the gracious God for people's own good and not for any recompense. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect manifestation of Rahman, because his beneficence is incomparable. Being the perfect man, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had this quality in him more than anyone else and an ordinary person, too, should aspire to the paradigm, deriving luminosity from the sun of 1400 years ago. In this age, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, has further spread the light, the light of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, is from that same gracious God. The quality of Rahmaniyat is pure favor and munificence and is not caused by any good act and is not the fruit or reward of anything. Despite humanity rejecting God, His Rahmaniyat remains overwhelming. If it were not for this divine quality, majority of humanity would have been destroyed because of its misdemeanors and sins. Despite rejecting God, people are asking, who is 
the gracious God. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live right here on the Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned before, this is a live and interactive discussion. So if you have any points that you want to discuss, to argue, to debate, um, you can contact us on 0208-687-7878 or get in contact via Twitter uh, on, oh, sorry, at the Voice of Islam UK. So as mentioned before, the topic that we wanted to discuss um, is in regards to technology versus humanity. Now we know in the last couple of decades how, how much technology has advanced. Now we look at a look around the room, uh, in any room, and we'll see maybe half, at least half the people in that room on, on their phones, or nearly everyone if you're at work will be in front of a screen. Um, and you know, we just if you just think about where we were 20 years ago, in our normal day-to-day lives, how, what we were doing and how close or how closely connected or attached we were to uh, technology, it's nowhere near how attached we are to technology today. So the question I want to ask is, has humanity advanced in the same respect? And what I mean by that is, what are the core values in to to, to be humanitarian? Let me ask around the room. What do you think being a humanitarian means to you, Musa? What what does being humanitarian mean? Sorry to put you on the spot as a guest, but... Wait, I don't understand the question. So being a humanitarian means you look out for humanity, right? You look Mm. out for people around you. So what sort of core values or principles do you think would be (coughs) essential to being um, a humanitarian, someone that looks out for humanity? I mean, I can only discuss about my personal life with my children and stuff okay. um, and what the way that they use technology. Um, <laughs> so, like, the question is, it's fine, you can use that example. What as makes long as, a humanitarian? As, yeah, what makes a humanitarian? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's simple, right? A humanitarian is someone that looks out for people in humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, que- the question is, the question is, <laughs> apologies if this is not getting through to you. The question is, what makes a humanitarian? What sort of values do we as Ahmadis, as humans, need to live by that show that we care about other human beings? That was my question. If that's difficult for you, don't worry. Kudus, let me come to you. What sort of principles or values or sort of like you know or what sort of uh qualities skills you need to be humanitarian well <clears throat> to be humanitarian um i think be 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 humble mm-hmm. okay uh, be humble you need to understand you have some empathy uh-huh. have some sympathy understand the other person other persons the people uh, who you who you live with Yep. The rights of the other people, yeah. So, <clears throat> the rights of the mankind, and obviously the rights of God, yeah. And uh, and in, and in Islam, we are told to take care of our neighbors, especially, yeah. And that is a, a very powerful thing, yeah. To take care of your neighbors, to make sure that you know, for <coughs> example, <clears throat> you have uh, 
uh, we have episodes where uh, we hear that you know our um, we we're not we, where we know that someone is hungry. You know, mm-hmm. we try to to feed them. Um, yeah. And I was actually uh, reading yesterday from Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, from his sayings uh, in Malfuzat that you know you if if a beggar comes to you, for example, mm-hmm. don't push him away, don't shove him away, yep. even though you can't give him money, mm-hmm. at least offer him some food. Yeah, yeah. and that is very powerful. Uh, because you see that, I'm, and and that relates to on Friday. I was obviously uh, Friday. I think uh, this week. I think on Thursday, or I think it was, and uh, I was walking on London Bridge, and you see a lot of people there uh, and begging. Yeah. And 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 it's, and some are obviously homeless. So it's it's and and we see this. We have this opportunity today to offer our help. Yeah. Uh, if we really wanted to, <clears throat> yeah. we can offer that help and. Um, so yeah, I mean the the for us we need to be we need to look around us, and uh, we need to be also appreciative and thank God for what we have, mm-hmm. uh, and that is one of the key things. If you don't appreciate, if you don't thank God that for for the things you already have, and you appreciate the things you have, you know you can't open your eyes and see around how people are suffering. Yeah. If you're always thinking, oh, always thinking, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. You know, and you always go down the negative route of thinking mm. down that spiral. Then <coughs> you know you can't you can't be a humanitarian. It's very difficult to yeah. be a humanitarian. <coughs> so you need to understand where we are, how pre- how how uh, blessed we are yeah. to be in in the situation, especially in this room. Yeah, uh, <coughs> us four. We, yeah. we you know we are, we are we have the blessings uh, of our community. We have the blessings of being part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And the blessings we get from the work we do for other people, yeah. and we can feel it. Yeah. We can feel it. We can tell. Yeah, but we can tell here that you know when we when we do something, we're like, okay, yeah, you know, God, God is with us. Yeah. So the so the reason why I ask is, um, I believe that empathy is a core value of being a human, right? It's, it, it, to understand someone else's feelings or situation not completely or entirely but at least to some extent to be able to help them i think is at the core principle when it comes to helping others or to um be able to connect with others i think that is like the 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 literally the the, the biggest connecting factor when it comes to um connecting and socializing now that is the reason why i actually want to compare okay We've advanced massively in technology, which we've already mentioned. We can go into a bit, bit more detail in a bit. But how do you guys feel we've progressed as as a civilization, as a community, as a society? Do you think we've connected in the same respect, in the same manner, in the same sort of progression as we have technologically? And, and, and it's something just sprung to my mind uh, during the break where uh, I was watching this clip where they will go into the most remote villages in the world, right? The most remote villages in the world, where people literally have no technology whatsoever. And I remember, the, I remember watching this clip, and they, they they went in with cameras, and everyone was kind of like bewildered, like, "Whoa, what's this?" And then the kids were running around around the people, saying, uh, "Just amazed that there are white people in the world, um, or people that are not black." And then they were they go walking around them like quite amazed and excited. And then the proposition that was put forward to them was, "We want a, a family from 
the US to live in your culture for a couple of weeks and we want you to live in our culture for a couple of weeks. So they swapped lives basically for a couple of weeks, for two weeks, I think. It was around two weeks. And <clears throat> literally both communities could not both so both groups could not stand living in the other and living in the other group. They the, the the group from the remote village when they went into the Western world, the civilized the I say civilized quote unquote civilized, right? The civilized world, the technological world, they couldn't stand it. They were saying that this is the most loneliest place in the world. And everyone is disconnected, no one talks to you, everyone is separate from everyone. And the people that had moved from the West into the remote village were saying how do people live like this there's nothing here there's no yeah. technology there's literally no entertainment there's nothing whatsoever and in my mind i'm thinking you know the 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 values are very different the principles are very different on both sides very different but at the core values should have been this should be the same right empathy connection all of these things but now being in the technolo technological world being in such an advanced again quote unquote advanced world have we lost our humanity have we lost our connection have we lost our touch uh, with people have we lost that aspect or that special kind of attribute of being connected to one another which is uh, and if we look at our, our community right the Ahmadiyya Muslim community if we look at how organized we are how connected we are now Alhamdulillah with the thanks of uh, Allah we all here are Ahmadi Muslims and we know the uh, events that we have the the communities we have um, the auxiliary auxiliary services we have everything we have is about connecting us with one another everything even if we look at prayer just prayer alone namaz alone right uh, salat which is one of the five principles or five pillars of Islam apologies if we just look at the uh, commandments that have been given in regards to prayer it is essential for every Muslim man to pray in congregation all five prayers. Now, what opportunity do you have to be alone, to be separated, to not be connected, if you are praying in congregation all five prayers every single day? <clears throat> so this is what my, my, like I was trying to understand, right? We have some basic human values and principles which are regarding connection with one another, which are regarding... Um, you know, empathy, connection, and that human value, that human interaction, which I believe in the advancement of technology, we are losing. Now, I think we mentioned in the first hour as well, with the advancements of technology, uh, there are predictions that in the next couple of decades, I think it was by the time of, by, by 2050, nearly 50% of um, work, so, such as data entry, can will be replaced by um by 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 robots exactly by ro by robots ai and robot ro robotic uh engineering and all of these things is now so big that it, they, they 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 these are predictions that are being made now is it worth it is my question is it worth it what technology is technology is the advancement of technology worth losing the human connection that we all innately need to survive no but it's not worth it but then at the same time that technology isn't removing that connection it's the people it is the people yeah so right. technology is there as almost an aid 
as a i guess an addition to your lives yeah but you're you're choosing to be you know make that the be all and end all right mm-hmm. and yes there are certain technologies out there that um kind of suck you in you know like the social media technology and all of these other um applications that that are available especially to the younger generations but i think the biggest issue here is with these advancements in in technology and all these um all these technologies that are available now is i think to your point mo because people have become so addicted mm-hmm. um that they have moved away from that social aspect of life and that mm-hmm. social element of um you know being around other people because now you don't even have to leave your house you can speak to all your friends all your families from your phone at any time anywhere in the world right mm-hmm. um you don't have to go and socialize with your friends you don't have to um even with work you don't have to go into the office and work anymore you can do it from home from your laptop um so i think you got to you got to look at what technology is like to your to your point earlier where you said about automation and and robotics taking over you know some of the some of the manual roles and some of the manual jobs i, I don't think that's a bad thing because it, yes if there is technology there to advance some of the you know streamline some of the works and you know make some of the work there quicker and easier and faster and more more proficient then then by all means um i know people might argue that well you know it's taken away jobs and it's it's taken away this but I, i don't necessarily think it is because then what we were speaking about earlier is people get then trained to do to do other things so if there is a data entry clerk they can train to advance their role where you know they don't have to manually input data into into spreadsheets mm. so from from that aspect i think you know technology is great but from from a social perspective and i think one of the biggest things that technology has done is maybe take away some of the principles of of life um such as you know what we spoke about earlier the the uh, the humanitarian side of mm. life and uh the empathy in life where if people aren't even um going out and you know socializing or meeting people or speaking with people how can you be a humanitarian at that point i know you know you can still donate and and all of that stuff but you know being a humanitarian means that you for me anyway is that you're you're selfless in what you're doing you don't expect anything back um and you see all of these things on on youtube and you know these these media platforms where people are recording doing these good deeds and you know they they're giving money to the homeless or they they're giving food and but i'm thinking are you just doing that for the views are you actually doing that through your selfless nature yeah. um so i think the advances <coughs> in technology are a good and a positive thing although it's had some negative connotations to to the way that we live but is there one that outweighs the other is my ultimate question. i think there will come a point where if we continue the way we are um with with technology um it will outweigh it because as i said it will ultimately remove all the guiding principles that we should be living our lives by mm. um because effectively you know on at the touch of your fingertips you can have anything and everything available to you um 
And if you're a young child who doesn't necessarily, you know, is, is not mature, hasn't hasn't had the guidance in terms of what's right and wrong, then those, you know, that right and wrong goes out the window. And, you know, the, the kid is just exposed to all of these things that they don't necessarily understand. Yeah. And there's no one teaching them that. And there's, uh, you know, they're, they're in their room all day on, on the laptop, on, you know, on the PlayStation, on, on the computer. And that is that is that is it for them yeah. you know they're not I going agree with outside Danish. i think there's a lot of um pros and cons though to it because i think socially in the long term there might be an issue um with the younger generation especially um but with um say for example if you want to spread the message of islam um and then with the earth, then obviously using technology to reach four corners of the earth it's it's useful it's, it's a pro right yeah <coughs> Funny. <coughs> no, I you're right. I'll come back to that. Apologies, I've got a bit of a bad throat. Um, yeah, both of you make really good points. There are positives, um, massive positives. Even if you look at healthcare, how much healthcare has helped, right? We, and that's purely just down to the advancements of technology. And there's still more to be done. No, recently we saw some news that was shared uh, amongst our friends regarding um, cancer therapy um, that has been successful. Um, so, yes, technology has uh, incredibly advanced um, our healthcare, right? Um, and as as always going to be an amazing thing. People are living a, a lot longer, um, and people are not being as ill there as they were before. Um, but on the flip side, we have these other ills, these social ills uh, that I think can also be quite deadly. You know, loneliness is now such a big thing that um, is ultimately can lead to uh, lead to death, not one uh, by a means that is is a, is a nice way and not like a, uh, it's not a dignifying way to go, but it's, it's a way that some people feel that they need to go. Um, and that again is down to mental health issues and mental health issues although it was always around is nowhere near as prevalent as it is now and I would say that technology and the misuse of technology has a part to play in that mm. and even if you look at like let's look at COVID right COVID-19 um, well it started at the end of 2019 was when the first report started coming out and 2020 is when we had the lockdown, right? The global lockdown. Now, the global lockdown, we saw in the UK at least, we saw flickers of great humanitarianism, great, like, sort of connections and people being really selfless and making communities, going out and helping people, not just in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, but in all communities. Uh, people were making small groups to help each other. People were really looking out for their neighbours, making sure that everyone was uh, staying safe, um, getting anything that was needed for them but at the same time sem uh, uh, the number of people in extreme poverty rose by 70 million to more than 700 million people worldwide the global extreme poverty rate reached 9.3% that was uh, um, in 2020 which is up from 8.4% in 2019 so at the same time when the whole world, even some of the most remote places, were suffering from COVID-19. And we saw small hopes and glimpses of people really being selfless and looking after each other. We, at the same time, saw a massive gap widening between the rich and the poor. 
and technology was making or was i believe extorting that was massively extorting that and that's why we saw when we mentioned earlier a lot of these big tech companies laying people off it's because they made so much money and they got greedy i i, I would i would say they got greedy um and they hired more people they got a bit too excited they saw how much money they were making i mean i think jeff bezos's um net worth doubled doubled mm. during covid mm. And that is in the billions. Now, the billions is nine zeros after a number. Nine zeros. It's a thousand million. I think he's done well, hasn't he? He's done well, okay, from like in the in individual perspective. But uh, what I'm thinking is globally, if you, look at, if you look at it holistically, these advancements have been made and the gap was widened massively during, during COVID. In the midst of all of this technological technological advancement, where was the humanity that was shown at a higher level? We saw our MPs that you mentioned earlier making millions, extorting the government massively, massively by just purely putting money into their own pockets and overselling um, these PPE uh, equipments, which is is wholly unfair and unjust. So. Um, I think the, then it raises the question of morality uh, yeah, 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 in terms of definitely. everything that you just said. And <coughs> I've got some experts from um, uh, Hazrat Mizam Rasul Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the Anvia Muslim um, community. And uh, I, I just want to read them off because I think it's quite relevant to, to what we're talking about. And um, His Holiness states that factors that indicate the strength of a civilization include its economic progress, the level of technological innovation, the advancement of the means of travel and communication and the intellectual progress of the society. Furthermore, the efforts of a nation to foster peace and stability, whether by virtue of its law enforcement, military proficiency or by other means, is also a measure uh, of its civilization. And then he, then he goes on to say um, that the... <coughs> then he's talking about... Um, the technological advancements and it goes thus civilization is the material technological and intellectual development of a society whereas this culture is based on the religious moral and philosophical makeup um, of of that society and um, and I think that's that's very key in terms of what we're speaking about is you can have all of these advancements all of these technological advancements but if there is no morality in the society, then you know those advancements are are for nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, again, his his holiness goes on to say that um, due, uh, uh, and he's talking about the Roman Empire here, um, and he says due to their material prosperity, uh, urbanization, and the way its territories were governed. The Romans were considered to be tremendously civilized and educated. However, their sophistication did not equate to high standards of morality. Um, rather, it was during the early period of Christianity that the people were infused with a progressive culture. Christianity gave people guiding principles based on religion and morality, whilst the Romans prescribed worldly laws and limits. Hence, the progress and advancement of the Romans reflected their great civilization, whereas Christianity gave the people a laudable culture. So I think that I think sums it up brilliantly 
that you can have all of these advancements in your in your society and in your uh, in your civilization, but if you don't have the guiding principles uh, to live by, then you know all of those advancements are going to be at your detriment than yeah. um, than for the betterment. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You're completely right, and um, I think one key thing that the holy uh, that His Holiness uh, the current Caliph, as you mentioned, as a Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, mentioned is that. I think the, the what it comes down to is the they need to be side by side, right? The the, the advancements need to be side by side, as his Holiness mentioned. Uh, key uh, advancements in e- economy, in technology, in healthcare, all of these things are key to the advancements of a civilization. But at the same time, you need to have the moral mo- m- morality mm. going side by side. And morality, at the end of the day, it comes down to what your guiding principles are and where you get those guiding guiding principles from. And we believe that you can only reach the highest level of morality through religion, through mm. understanding God and understanding what God asks of his people. Um, there are arguments, which is kind of going off topic, that you can be moral without believing in God, which is a case. But to, le- to reach the highest level of mor- morality, you need guiding principles. Mm. And that comes down to uh, religion. Um, so yeah, very good <coughs> points made there, and I think it is key. Um, and I actually just want to ask you guys a quick question. I'll come around to everyone actually. Um, let's start with our guest presenter. In 2011, actually, yeah, 2011. What do you think was used more, the mobile phone or the desktop computer? Remember, this is just over 10 years ago, by the way. 2011. Um, I'd say the desktop computer. computer. Sorry, say that again. Desktop computer. Desktop computer. Yeah. Desktop computer. What about yourself, Kudos? What was used more? Mobile phone or desktop computer? Uh, 2011. Yeah, mobile phone. Yeah, and uh, Danish, what about yourself? 2011. We were 21 at the time. Phones yeah. were about Blackberries, maybe, or even iPhone. 21, yeah, I think. I don't know. I can't remember. I think it's got to be desktop. You think desktop as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah, Danish and, and Musabha, you're both correct. Because also, unfortunately, you're wrong. Um, average minutes spent daily per capita worldwide uh, was 32 minutes on a mobile phone. This is daily, by the way, yeah? And 43 minutes spent on desktop. 43 minutes spent on desktop and only 32 minutes spent um, on the mobile phone now well the the latest stats are from 2019 someone give me a, a it's probably completely the opposite it is completely uh, it's the probably opposite probably very high as well but give me like a average figure, screen time uh, yeah, uh, give me average daily daily screen time daily screen time spent online per capita worldwide 12 hours 12 hours no, per no. <laughs> daily daily That's yeah. maybe weekly i'd probably say about daily. 2 2 hours Two four, hours. Four hours. Two, two, three hours. Four maybe. to five. Four to five hours. Good news. Well, screen time. You have an issue, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think, I think 12 hours I was going by weekly. I think you're okay, right. So, so I'd say about two, about two, two three hours. About two actual screen time where you're on different apps, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> like Instagram, Are you talking WhatsApp? about general people? Yeah, on general screen. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so on average, yeah. how much would you including spend Including work. Day? Including... Uh, just, just screen time Just screen time. I don't think this is including work. On your phone, your phone, your phone. On your phone. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. easily two hours. Yeah, you're you're all correct. 132 minutes mm. in 2019, 
and desktop time was 39 minutes. 39 minutes. So it's Decrease. completely flipped. It's completely flipped, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but flipped massively. Mm. Massively. And that just. Hey, you got to remember show. in 2011 we had what? Nokia 3210. No, no, no. We had. 2011? Yeah. That was no like 2005 way. we had Nokia. Yeah. We had Nokia's. I think we had Blackberries, but I think iPhones weren't maybe just coming out. Yeah, yeah, they weren't. And I think with mobile phones now. Okay, even Blackberries, they didn't have screens like that. Not like, like that, but there was still BB Messenger and yeah, and but not not like movies, no, and yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah iPhones. Yeah. I, I think yeah, mobiles have become almost like desktops now. Yeah, because you can basically do everything, everything that a desktop yeah, yeah. does on your phone. Yeah, and even so. if we just remember GPS, remember GPS, right? Yeah. GRPS, the, which was the signal that we used to get. Then it was three G, then it was four G, mm. then it was five G. Mm. Now we would all remember, even if it was on a BlackBerry, how long we'd have to wait for this very pixelated screen mm. to load. Mm. And compare that to now, 5G is yeah. incredible how much advancement we've, we've, mm. we've made. But yeah, that was just an example to, to, to show how much we're actually, how much time we're actually spending in front of computers, whether it be uh, a mobile phone or, or a desktop. Um, so yeah, it's an average two hour, well, 132 minutes was the latest figure in 2019. But I think now, three years on from that, I think it would be a lot more. A lot more because I think during the pandemic, people would have easily become addicted to their to their screens because mm. they would have nothing else to do. They'll That's be at true. home. Yeah. Um. So I could, I, I would, I would say that yeah, the, this figure would be a lot higher now. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, look, we're all parents here, right? Um, and we know how we were brought up. We know the sort of lifestyle that we lived growing up and what we used to do. I wasn't allowed a phone till I was like eighteen. That's what I was told, but <laughs> I caught one a lot sooner than that. Um, but yeah, um, and but generally in regards to our lifestyle, in, in terms of okay, phones. Even if we had one, the max that we're gonna do in that is play snakes. At, at yeah, we had a exactly. thirty-two ten or something. Not your thirty-two ten. Exactly. The, that the was most, our entertainment. The most you're gonna do is play snakes, right? Or, or like hold a make a voicemail. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make a voicemail. Okay. And this is what we, <laughs> this is what this is how we got by. Mm. Do you guys fear for your children uh, and one hundred percent how technology will be shaping them? Because you know, uh, let me just quickly say, like, I was with my um, my young cousin. He's about fourteen, fifteen, and I was asking how school's going. He goes, "Oh yeah, I've got a lot of assignments to do." I was like, oh, "Is it? What's your? What is it on?" He goes, "Oh, I've got to finish making uh, an app." He's got to finish making an app. Wait, how old is he? He's 14, 15. Oh, right. Yeah, it's Part of his assignment is to make an app. And um, yeah, it just goes to show, I think basic skills that we should be having, literacy and numeracy, I think are on the decline. Twelve time, My 12 times tables was essential for me to learn growing up. But I know for a fact that the younger generation now, I, I would... I would. I can't put a figure to it, but I know majority of them wouldn't know the twelve times tables. Really, a hundred percent. Go to young. Go to a young kid now and ask them eleven times eleven. <laughs> they would not tell. They're not. They would not be able to tell you. I hope you can tell me. Huh? huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's not go into that. Wait. But this is my point. We're 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 missing out on these skills, right? These basic skills. <laughs> basic numeracy skills. Basic literacy. No, but skills. I think like making an app. 
that isn't so bad. It's good in, in it's hindsight. Good. Looking it at it, that, that's a that's a good skill to learn. Oh, yeah, it will be great skill to learn. But I think basic skills that we need to have to get by literacy skills and numeracy numeracy skills, I think, are essential to people. They're essential. But we're we're, we're yeah. I've I got I've got young children, obviously, but like they are very like technologically technology kids in the sense that they want to watch a lot of stuff on these apps like whatever it is but i've actually banned them from using youtube really i've had to yeah i've had to cut it down because it's is they're just you spending banned, too much banned time them. i banned them from youtube because you know what it is on youtube you can just start clicking things yeah and i don't know what they're clicking on so yeah. you should go on uh youtube, YouTube kids. kids i've got youtube kids but even on you youtube can limit kids the timing on that yeah yeah so that's what i use now youtube kids and Videos. i try to make them watch um you know, friendly programs like cartoon programs, rather educational than educational stuff. Yeah, rather than scrolling through like <laughs> random mm-hmm. like videos that people make. But do you know us? Us being young parents, right? We got we got very young kids, um, and I think we we had this sort of false perception that our our kids are not going to look at screens or they're not going to. Uh, be we're not going to expose them to you know YouTube and you know TVs even it's mm. it's all going to be about reading books and this and that but I can tell you it's the hardest thing to do yeah um, because the the society and the world that we live in you're surrounded by screens yeah you can't get away from them yeah um, we have four five six screens in our house mm-hmm. everyone has a phone everyone has a laptop or an iPad a TV and mm. um, so it is very difficult to shield your children away from that. I think what Musa pointed out is the best thing you can do is control it mm-hmm. um, and um, you know develop your kids in a way that they have a healthy relationship with technology than being addicted to it. Um, because my my concern will be is while our kids are you know they're they're still at home and um, you know we can pretty much. Um, guide them in in a way that we want what happens when they start going to school because I was reading an article the other day where you know nine ten year olds are having phones at school now yeah uh, th- that you're still a baby at that age a hundred percent and yeah. the teachers were worried about you know these ten year olds having iPhones mm-hmm. and we've we've all pretty much all got iPhones and we know everything an iPhone can do you can do pretty much anything and everything on your mm-hmm. phone mm-hmm. and these nine and ten year old, uh, ten year olds have exposure to all of that, mm. and they they're on these social media apps and they're they're on all of these different technologies, and you know at that point, how how do you how That's do you sensor. govern yeah how yeah. do you govern that for for your children? It is difficult, and uh, I think I don't know if there's any real way to govern it or to police it, um, but it's just a case where we would have to educate our children mm. uh, to the best to the best of our abilities to explain that these things should be used in a way that is only beneficial for 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 them i, I think i think it's um sorry to butt in but i think it's actually social media apps responsibility to make sure that they try and monitor because you know when you like sign up for instagram for example you can say your age yeah so if you're someone's less like under 13 or something they shouldn't have any pop-ups or um, they shouldn't have ads. social media. I, I mean, they shouldn't have, but obviously people do, right? If they they do, yeah. but I'm saying if they do have it, then they should be able to monitor those and not have any, know, sexual content come up and stuff like that. But mm. I, I've heard that a lot of that stuff naturally comes up, and that's almost exploiting and could mm. potentially ruin our 
younger generation yeah no. they're exposed to those type of things yeah uh, you're right it, yeah those those sort of content is 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 incredible now how easily accessible it is to young children and it is damaging it's very very damaging um not just to them but it will be for their future generation as well if they can't like process that information uh, uh, properly and appropriately um but um yeah i think ultimately you know we've um we as mentioned we have made a lot of advancements and a lot of them have been good a lot of them have been positive we've we've um come a long way from where we used to be with dial-up internet now <laughs> we've got like you know even a gig um what's the word a gig um, a gig per second speed gigabyte per second speed yeah wow. so <coughs> we've come a very long way but from that uh, to- dial tone sound exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're screaming around the house put the phone down, put the phone yeah. down. but uh yeah i think uh ultimately we just need to remember what our purpose in life is is it actually to um experience all of these technological advancements get stuck in a virtual reality or actually live in the real world and uh, have a connection with people and um, build those con- building those connections to try and build a closer connection with God, which is, as mentioned, our ultimate purpose. Um, but we're going to quickly go on a short break after which we'll come back and wrap up this discussion. Taqwa is a tree that should be planted in the heart. The very water which nourishes Taqwa irrigates the whole garden. Taqwa is a root without which everything is meaningless, and if it remains intact, then nothing is lost. What benefit is there for a man in indulging himself in the useless activity of claiming with his tongue that he seeks God while he has no sure footing with his Lord? Look, I say to you truly and sincerely that ruined is he whose faith is tainted by even a hint of worldliness. Hell is very close to that soul all of whose intentions are not for God, rather some of them are for God and others are for the world. Thus, if you have an iota of worldly adulteration in your intentions, all your worship is in vain. In such a case, you do not follow God, rather you follow Satan. Never ever expect that when you are in such a condition, God will help you. Rather, in this condition, you are a worm of the earth and soon you will perish just as worms of the earth do. And God shall not be in you, rather he will be happy to destroy you. But if you, in reality, die by killing your baser selves, then you shall appear in God, and God shall be with you. Verily I tell you truly, that whosoever evades even the least of the seven hundred commandments embodied in the Holy Quran, slams the door of salvation upon himself. The real and perfect paths of salvation have been opened by the Holy Quran. All others were only its shadows. Therefore, you should study this holy scripture with the utmost attention and deepest thought, and you should love it as you have never loved anything else. For indeed, as God has conveyed to me, Al-Khayru Kulluhu Fil Quran, all good lies in the Quran, all kinds of good are to be found in it, and this is the truth. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion, and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam assalamu alaikum may the peace and blessings of god be upon you welcome back to saturday morning live right here on the voice of islam 
We are just wrapping up our show now, and we just want to conclude with um, some final points and remarks and uh, opinions we can say on the topic. As mentioned, the topic was regarding um, technology versus humanity and how technology has advanced and whether humanity has advanced alongside it. Now, um, I did want to point out a few things uh, just to kind of highlight whether technology has been, well, whether humanity, apologies, has been advancing alongside technology. You know, uh, recently we've had um an invasion from russia into ukraine there's wars in yemen uh still conflict in afghanistan still conflict in burkina faso still conflict all around the world all around the world um in in light of that we have also been making massive improvements in um technology as as we mentioned before and uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, has mentioned when it comes um, in regards to advanced technolo- advanced countries helping poorer nations, he has said, we also believe that rich countries should help the weaker nations of the world to build solid foundations. If poorer countries can build up their economies and infrastructures, their people will have opportunities at home and have far less reason to migrate abroad. In their na- if their nations are stable and prosperous, it naturally follows that the region and the wider world will benefit. So um, I think this is clear and it kind of highlights that, yes, one country um, may be making massive strides and advancements in technology, in healthcare, in, in every sphere, but they cannot leave their uh, their brothers around the world, brothers and sisters around the world to um, to suffer uh, to poverty or to famine or to whatever it might be. Now we know there's massive conflict still happening around the world, and as His Holiness has mentioned, we we need the the stronger and more uh, advanced technology uh, and countries around the world need to provide support to these to these other nations. Um, so in the end, we can just pray and hope that governments and societies and communities and organizations around the world are doing their best and fulfilling their responsibilities to not just um, their own nations and their own communities but also to people worldwide we have made massive advancements and strides in technology as already mentioned that has prolonged life it has cured many illnesses there's many cancers now that can be caught very early and can save lives um and you know all of these things are great and they uh, have um you know brought happiness to many people and to families and brought a lot of joy but at the same time let's not forget our core principles and our core values in life which mentioned earlier is one of them is empathy it's to understand each other and it's to connect with one another you know one of the islam and ahmadiyya is all about bringing people together as mentioned before our auxiliary organizations are all about connecting people majlis qudam al-ahmadiyya or the youth organization that we have is all about connecting people. We have events on a regular basis that bring our young brothers together and it promotes harmony, it promotes peace, it promotes understanding. And this is something that should be translated into the into the general community in, in and it should be translated worldwide. So let's hope and pray that this is something that can be carried on. Um, any remarks, final remarks from my guest presenters, my co-presenters? Let me come to you, Danish. Anything that you want to add? Yeah, I think you've um, you've summed it up pretty well, Mo. Um, that it's it's great that we have all of these t- 
technological advancements, but at what cost? Um, and I think that's where it's important for us to uh, instill this in in ourselves and our and our younger generations is that we still, you know, with all these advancements and you know that some some of them their uses are great, uh, other things not so. But you know, even even the good things, we need to make sure that we abide by the the you know the guarding principles that you know our our religion teaches us, and um, you know let let morality be you know the the driving force behind everything that we do um and whether it's whether it's online whether it's in um you know in in the real world as such and um i i personally think you know t- technology is great but it's we we need to use it in in the right way and for the right things um and then everything is good okay thank you very much Musar Maksud, our guest present today. Firstly, thank you very much for, for coming on. We really appreciate the time you've taken out to be here. Jazakallah. Any final comments you want to make on this topic? I think you guys have summed it up pretty well, so I don't think I really need to say that much. Um, I think the only thing that I, I can see is a quote from His Holiness um, where he's talking about education um, uh, and uh, growing inequalities within societies and that providing education uh, was necessary to redress the imbalance and to ensure social harmony. Um, and what Hazrat Muslim Rasul Ahmed, his, his Holiness said, we believe that one of the key ways to help the poor is through education. If younger members of society who are from broken homes, who are stricken by poverty, are educated, it will enable them to break free from shackles of destitution. And I think that's um, something that we can take in, in, in our daily lives as well, especially with the younger generation and um you know me being a parent as well um so yeah okay thank you very much gentlemen um and thank you to our listeners you have been with us on saturday morning live on the voice of islam please do stay tuned for our other shows uh, that we do have on air and uh, we will see you again next week thank you very much